back row of lights too. That would be great. Thanks. Great. All right. We're, uh, we're starting a new series today called God's Covenant Love. God's Covenant Love. The series is about God's love and faithfulness to us and our love and faithfulness to Him. It's about our relationship with God. Um, his love and faithfulness is constant and unchanging. Right? He never stops loving us. He never even turns the volume down on His love. It's on full blast all the time towards us. Ours, however fluctuates regularly, if we're honest, right? Our love and faithfulness towards God. On a good day, He has our attention some of the time. And then there are days when we're so consumed in ourselves and our stuff and our troubles that we, we fail to hold up our side of the relationship, don't we? Right? 2 Timothy 2 Starting in verse 11, says, Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Hallelujah, right? When we come to Christ, we die with him. There's a death that happens when we come to Christ. We die to sin and, and selfishness and all those things that had ruled our life to that moment. We, we die to those things. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Amen? If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Right? God has made promises and his promises to us do not depend on whether we keep our promises. That's good news, isn't it? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This book, the Bible, right, is all about covenant. It is all about covenant. In fact, it's made up of two parts, the old covenant and the new covenant. This whole book is a book of covenant. And both covenants are about the faithful promise of God to love us and to bring humanity back to him. Our series will center on the book of Malachi. You know those times, if you're a parent, or maybe if you aren't a parent, when your parent came to you and said, we need to talk. And you knew it wasn't going to be a good conversation. Right? Right? But as the parent, you know that if, if they'll hear you and listen and follow the instructions you're giving them, their life will be so much less painful 
and so will yours, right? Sometimes we have to have hard conversations, but they don't have to have harsh endings. Well, that is the book of Malachi. God wants to talk to his people about how they have been treating his house and how they have been dishonoring and disrespecting their relationship with him. Um, and he wants to get them back on track. And the book uses this unique conversational style where God says to the people, here's the problem. And the people respond, well, how have we been doing that? And God says, here's how you've been doing that and gives them clear examples, right? You ever have conversations like that? <laughs> the people have dishonored their side of the covenant relationship with God and have, <clears throat> um, and have been reaping trouble because of it and that's not what God wants for them not what he wants for them. And so God is saying in Malachi, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep hitting a wall. Change your behavior and you change the outcome. Right? We'll get to Malachi in a bit, but there's some background stuff that will help us approach this book. We want to start, first of all, talking about covenant. Covenant. It's a word that those of us who've been around the church for years have probably heard, lots, heard this word covenant. But even if we've heard it lots, we may not understand what it means or the immense importance of the idea of covenant in understanding the scriptures. Covenant is similar in some ways. I mean, we don't, we don't understand in our culture today. We're, we're, we're diving back into a culture thousands of years ago to understand covenant. Because we don't really understand covenant in our culture today. It's not a word, not, not a word you hear at the coffee shop. Right? A covenant is similar in some ways to a contract or a collective agreement. Some similarities. A collective agreement is a mutually binding agreement between two parties over labor, right? Many of you know what, really well what I'm talking about. A contract is a legally and mutual agreement, a legal and mutual agreement generally over property. And in a contract, Everybody's, you know, it's 50-50. It's, it's Everybody's half in. And the moment you break the contract, I'm out of here. Right? You've ended the contract. I'm going to start legal whatever. You know, legal, um, take legal actions. A covenant is more than an agreement. Contract a, uh, a collective agreement, they are agreements between two parties. A covenant is more than agree an agreement, but it's a commitment 
between two parties over relationship. Not over labor, not over property, but over relationship. A, a commitment over relationship. It involves vows, making promises, vows from each party. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit. And it basically means a bond. Bond. Covenants were, were very common in the ancient Near East. In the culture in which the Bible was written, not just, not just the Israelites, not just the people of God, but you go anywhere in the, in the ancient Near East and people understood covenants. And they would often speak of cutting a covenant because there was sacrifice involved. It would cut a bond. Makes sense. But they would, they would have a ceremony together. There would be a, a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And two parties would make a promise, a vow to each other in relationship. It was a blood oath of loyalty. And in a cruel and violent era, in a cruel and violent time, it was a way of knowing who your people were. From marriage, to family bonds, to friendships, to national treaties, you knew that if you had a covenant with each other, you were safe with that person. You were each other's people. And cutting a covenant made you bonded like family. And this has everything to do with God's relationship with us. God was always about bringing people into his family. And he does so by making, uh, throughout the Old Testament, by making blood oath covenant to provide, to protect, and to love those who bind themselves to him. And so we, we have a number of Covenants, this is just a few of the covenants that we find in the Old Testament. There are many covenants found in the Old Testament. It begins with Adam, right at the beginning. That God, um, in, in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, we see a, a, an unfolding of a covenant between God and humans, between God and Adam and Eve. In, in chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve in his image and he, he gives them responsibility and expectation that they'll obey him and walk with him and that they will have the, the privilege of leading with him, of being part of his family and his leadership and stewardship of the earth. In chapter 2, it says that, that he expands that covenant by giving them specific instructions 
not to touch a certain tree. I'm going to give you everything, everything in the world, everything in this garden is yours, everything. But don't touch the tree, right? He makes a covenant, a, a vow with them. And then they break the vow. They sin. They, they, uh, they eat from the tree. And God says, here are the curses. I told you if you touched it, you would die. Their covenants in the scripture, they come with consequences if we break them, right? And so if you eat of it, you will die. And so then God comes to them in, in Genesis 3 and he says, here's, here's what will happen, right? And he speaks, there's, there's the curse over the serpent, over the woman and over the man. And then he says, but, but, from the seed of the woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpent, will destroy the works of the devil, of the enemy. God makes this vow. It's the beginning of the whole salvation story of God. I will bring from the seed of the woman one who will break the power of evil, sin, and death. And then he kills an animal and clothes them with its skin. And they are literally clothed in the sacrifice of the covenant. Right? So that was the first picture of covenant. And then God makes a covenant with Noah, saying, I, I will never destroy the world with a flood again, puts the rainbow in the sky, and we know that story from Genesis 9. And then we get to Abraham in Genesis 12. And God comes to Abraham and he says, all the rest of the world has, 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 has abandoned their relationship with me, but I'm going to make out of you a nation through whom the whole world will be blessed. The whole world will be brought back into my family through you, Abraham. And he, he makes that promise in, in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 15, we see God literally cutting a covenant with Abraham. Right? And we see the whole ceremony that God goes through with Abraham and makes the promise that he will himself bring about this salvation plan through Abraham's family, and that Abraham will be a great nation. His family will become a great nation. And then God confirms that and, and uh, reaffirms that covenant with Isaac and then with Jacob throughout their lives. And then 400 years later, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, right? We're spanning a lot, of, a lot of history here. But he brings the Israelites out of Egypt by the, by the ten plagues that he brings on the, on the nation of e Egypt. He brings a superpower to its knees and brings his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brings them to Sinai where God makes a covenant with this new nation of Israel. In Exodus chapters 20 to 24, we find this covenant that God makes. It starts 
with the Ten Commandments, right? I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of, out of, out of, the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, right? And we go through the Ten Commandments, and then he gives some more instructions on how those Ten Commandments actually get lived out in life in the next three chapters. And then in chapter 24 of Exodus, we see God and the people having this ceremony where there's a blood sacrifice, and the people promise to God that they will be faithful to him, and God promises to the people that he will make them a great nation that will bless the whole earth. It's a covenant. And then they break it in five minutes. And yet what does God do? He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He has made a promise to love these people and through them to bring his salvation plan to the earth. Then 40 years later, you know, they, they disobey, so there, there are consequences. When we, when we break covenant with God, there are consequences. God never gives up on us, right? He didn't give up on Israel. They had to wander in the desert. But God didn't give up on them. His faithful covenant love never gives up on you. And so 40 years later, as Moses was preparing to die, and Israel was preparing to enter the promised land of Canaan, the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, right? Book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second, deutero, second law. Namos, second law. So the book of Deuteronomy is, um, is a renewing of the Sinai covenant between God and his people. God says, let's do this again. Let's make this vow again. Let's make this promise again. Because my promise hasn't changed. I'm calling you to make a promise again. Right? And, and we see this happen in the book of Deuteronomy. The language uh, in this covenant follows the language that we see all over the ancient Near East in other covenants that we found, in other documents and, and literature from the ancient Near East. There are six basic components of an ancient Near Eastern covenant that are largely reflected in the covenants that God makes with his, with his people. There's the intro, introduction of the speaker. I'm the Lord your God. I am Yahweh, your God. There's the historic context. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Out of the land of slavery. Here's what I've done for you. There's the stipulations, right? Here's what I expect of you, and here's what you can expect of me. Here's what I promise to you. 
there are normally in the ancient Near East, they would call on the gods to witness. Now, God is the only true God, and so he's got no other gods to call on to witness, right? So what does he do in this, in this, uh, in his covenants? In Sinai, he invites Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and 70 elders from Israel. He invites them up into the cloud of his glory. And they get to see God face to face. So he can say, look at me. I'm the one who is promising you. I will not let you go. Follow me. And then he writes on tablets of stone, tells them to put them in the Ark of the Covenant, a box that would forever remain for the nation of Israel as a, uh, as a sign of the covenant that God had made with them. God's presence would hover over this box and God himself would witness his promise. God gives blessings and curses. Uh, Here's what happens if you will walk with me and here's what will happen if you don't. And then there, there was a sacrifice that happened. So... And the the sacrifice to seal the covenant in blood. In Exodus 24, at the Sinai covenant, um, it says, verse 8 says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. It's kind of gross. And said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with with all these words. Here's the interesting thing. God promised, after Israel failed and failed and failed and failed in the covenant with God, God said in in Jeremiah 31, sorry, in Jeremiah 31, God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. There will come a day when I will make a new covenant. And I will fulfill through you. I'm going to, you're not just going to be obeying a law, but I'm going to put the, the, the truth and the law on your minds and your hearts. And I'm going to empower you. I'm going to enable you to live for me. He was talking about when Jesus would come, wasn't he? Right? Here's here's what Jesus said in Matthew 26, starting in verse 27. As he gave them the cup of wine in the meal before, the night before he died, he passed them the cup and he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, from the very beginning, when God said, 
there will be a seed of a woman that will rise up and crush the head of the serpent. God knew that he himself would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for the ultimate covenant and that his blood would be shed and that because of the blood of God shed on the cross that you and I would be brought into his family in a forever promise and a forever covenant with him. Amen? How many of you have heard about this curse tablet? Anybody hear this news about this curse tablet? Oh, okay. Good. I mean, it's not good. I mean, it's, it's all right. I just uh, thought it might be not news to that many people, but here we go. <clears throat> this is uh, this is big deal. This is this is a huge deal that has in 2022 hit the archaeological world and the Bible, the the biblical world, um, biblical studies world. This small piece of tablet, you can see how big that is. It's about the size of a cracker, right? thought it was a cracker. That's, that's understandable. Small little tablet about the size of a cracker dated from 1400 BC. 1400 BC. Um, it was found on Mount Ebal. Oops, that's not what I want to do. Mount Ebal. And uh, those Scriptures up there, we won't take the time to read them, but uh, I encourage you to, to check them out. I'm going to summarize them for you right now. Um, remember I talked about the covenant being renewed before, as the Israelites were going into the land, right? And as they prepared to do that, in Deuteronomy, God said, when you get in there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Two hills with a valley between them. And I want you to build a, an altar on Mount Ebal. And I want you to coat that thing in, in plaster. And I want you to write on the altar all of the words of the covenant that I'm making with you. And then what I want you to do is I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the bottom of the valley in between these two hills. And I want half of the tribes of Israel to stand on one hill and the other half of the tribes of Israel to stand on the other hill. And I want the, the tribes on Mount Gerizim to proclaim the blessings from, from the book of Deuteronomy, the list of blessings that will happen if the Israelites follow God, stay faithful to the covenant. I want you to read the list of blessings over, over the nation. And then I want the other half of the tribes, I want you to list the curses that will happen over the nation if you fail to, to walk in covenant relationship with me. Now, that didn't mean, it sounds a little freaky, you know, blessings and curses. I, I want you to hear me that that didn't mean that God was saying, do what I say or I'll get you. 
right? It's kind of what a little bit the way it could be taken if we, if we hear about the curses that will come if we don't follow God. Here's what's going on. If we walk with God, God is with us. And he will, uh, we will experience his blessing and provision and protection that comes from being with him. If we abandon our relationship with God and go into the world, we will fall into the same traps and the same dangers that the world experiences without the protection and provision of God. It's for our blessing to stay close to God. Right? We walk out from under the umbrella of his protection. He's saying, here are things that are going to happen. He says, you're going to experience all the same diseases and troubles and trials that the rest of the world experiences because you're outside of my blessing and protection. It's not because I'm coming to beat you up, coming to, you know, because I'm, it's because you've walked away from me, right? And so he, he's saying you, you, you have a choice to make. Be with me or be against me. Be with me and be blessed. Walk away from me and be cursed. In chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, he actually says, says that it this way. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to obey, to, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he has sworn to give to your father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so God is saying, it's a no-brainer choice. Love me and live or walk away from me and die. Right? But, but I want you to choose to live. Right? It's interesting that an unusual element that God built into this covenant in Deuteronomy 
Usually what would happen is if you, if you broke covenant with your family, with a nation, with your people, right? You broke covenant. You would be cut off from the nation. You would be cut off from the family. God actually built into Deuteronomy a path back to him, a path of repentance. In fact, he said, when you sin and fail and all these curses come upon you, if you will turn back to me, you'll be forgiven, you'll be brought back in, and all the blessings will be yours again. Amazing, right? The faithful love of God. So not only did archaeologists, when they went to Mount Ebal, find an altar right where the Bible said it would be. You need to understand that secular archaeologists and historians and liberal Christian archaeologists and historians don't, don't take any of this as fact. If they don't find evidence outside of the Bible of what the Bible says, they say, well, it's not how it happened. Just, nah, don't believe you. But not only did they find an altar right where the Bible said there would be an altar, but near the altar they found this tiny little piece of tablet that was a cursed tablet. It was part of the, the very ceremony that is described in Deuteronomy, uh, in, in, and well, prescribed in Deuteronomy, God said do this, and then in Joshua chapter 8, it describes them actually doing it. And, and they found this little piece of curse from everything that we just said, written in the Hebrew language, which rocks the historical world because they have said for years, for a hundred years, they have, they have said there was not written Hebrew that early in their history and there's no way Moses could have written the first five books of the Bible. And in 2022, all of that was brought down when they found this little cracker piece with Hebrew written on it, dated to the exact time when we're told it would be there. Right? And written in Hebrew on that little piece was the name Yahweh which they also have said for a hundred years that God, that name was not used until much, much later in Israel's history. And so uh, this, has, this little tiny piece of tablet has made huge leaps in showing the historical accuracy of our scriptures and Jewish Christian and secular archaeologists are saying this is the biggest breakthrough in the area of ancient Hebrew culture studies in years. It's pretty cool, right? God will not be mocked. Amen. 
So we're going to finally get to Malachi. There's my introduction. The rest of the message is going to be fairly short. Because there was a lot, all this background is important to understand the importance of covenant as we enter into this. Malachi. Israel had broken covenant with God over and over. Most of the Old Testament is the story of Israel rebelling and breaking covenant with God and God lovingly pursuing them, lovingly calling them back to Him, lovingly making a way again and again and again through repentance to, to bring His people home, to rebond them to Himself. He sent prophets to challenge them and remind them of their covenant promises. He warned them that discipline would come in the form of exile if they continued to persist in worshiping pagan gods of the culture around them and neglecting their worship of him. And eventually exile did happen. They were carried off into Babylon and then God brought them back into their land and gave them a chance again. But here comes Malachi in 400 BC, about 100 years after the people have returned from exile again, but they are again not being faithful to the covenant they have with God. Malachi is the last prophet in Israel before John the Baptist came hundreds of years later. Last prophet in Israel, and Malachi's message needed to be heard. We're going to read the first five verses. Malachi chapter 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, or Malachi, the Italian prophet. Just let that one sink in for a minute. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, de declare, uh, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will, be called, uh, they will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord. This is the resounding message of the covenant of God's love for his people. I have loved you. What we need to hear above everything else today, folks, is those words, not just to Israel, but to you, to me. I have loved you. And Israel asks, how have you loved us? 
Do we not easily lose sight of the truth of God's deep love for us? Do we not ask that question ourselves from time to time? Do we not fall into an entitled attitude sometimes and easily, more easily complain than praise? More easily dwell on the negative and the trouble instead of the blessings and the provision and the goodness of God? Our internet goes down for five minutes. God, why do you hate me? Right? So quick. And God's response to Israel in this passage seems strange to our ears. There are a million other things God could have said in response to Israel's question, how have you loved us, that would have preached so much better this morning. That would have got us jumping to our feet and cheering. But hold on. Understand that when God oddly turns to this story of Jacob and Esau that happened like 1,500 years before Malachi, an ancient story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, that he wasn't just talking about Jacob and Esau, but about the two nations that came from them, Israel and Edom, and all the history of what God had done to save, protect, and use Israel instead of Edom to bring about his plan on the earth. He's talking about how he chose Jacob and his descendants to carry the promise and the covenant that he had spoken to Abraham and to be his precious chosen vessel to bring his salvation plan to the ends of the earth. Edom was on the southern border of Israel and often attacked Israel and gave them grief. And when the Babylonians had come 150 years before Malachi's writing to attack Israel, Edom helped Israel's enemies to crush them. And God had even sent a prophet to Edom. It's in our Bible. It's called the Book of Obadiah. And God sent a prophet to warn Edom to leave Israel alone or they would have to deal with him, but they did not. And now, even as Malachi was prophesying this prophecy, a nation from the east, the Nabataeans, were completely defeating and destroying the nation of Edom. This wasn't just about an, an ancient story from 1,500 years. It was happening right in front of their eyes. We used to say it's important to read your Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. I guess now it's a Bible app and a news app. Both open on your phone, right? But God is bringing, even today, God is bringing about his purpose right in front of our eyes like he was for them, right? God is saying to them in his response, what do you mean, how have I loved you? 
I called your father Abraham out of an idolatrous nation. I made him a part of my family and a part of my plan. I protected and guided and pursued and loved and disciplined and cared for his descendants ever since. You are here and you're not destroyed and you still exist because I love you and I've had mercy and grace upon you. I have loved you. Folks, as we get ready to close, I'm going to invite Pastor Graham to come on up. God's faithfulness to you and to me is not based on our performance. It is not based on our perfection. It is based on His promise. He has promised covenant love and faithfulness to you and He will never let you go. He will never give up on you. He will never stop pursuing your heart. Wooing your heart. He knew even before he made the promise to Adam that a seed of the woman would come to crush the head of the serpent, that, that he himself would come and be the one to open the door for you and me into his family. We're his people. In this cruel, dark, difficult world that we live in, we need to know who our people are. And God says, you are my people. Let's stand. Do you know this morning how loved you are by the Father? Do you know that God will stop at nothing to fulfill His promises and His covenant vows to you? He will be faithful because He cannot deny Himself. Father, we come to you today so thankful for your covenant love for us, for your vows of blessing and provision and protection that are ours as we bind ourselves to you. We trust in what Jesus did as he shed covenant blood on the cross. That we are bound to you. We are your family. And you will not give up on family. So I thank you, God, today for your love and your mercy. God, even when we fail the covenant, you are quick. When we repent, you are so quick to pour out your mercy and your grace and to welcome us back into intimacy with you. 
God, I pray if there's anyone here in this room or watching online this morning that does not yet know you as their covenant heavenly father, as the one who has has saved them, promised them his love, and have welcomed them into his, into their, his family. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Reveal your love to them. For those of us, God, who have walked with you for decades and have grown complacent maybe a little bit entitled forgotten how much you have loved us may you reveal it to us once again thank you for your love